Don't worry, I'll keep checking. Okay, one, oh. two, check, check, one, check, two. give me a check. Two, 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 oh, wait, three. the music's already on. No! Uh-oh. I think I missed this. I missed it completely. You missed it? You just, you really just don't even jump in. It's just coming on that. I just completely fell on that one. That's all right, man. That's well, all right. We, we uh, get them all. When we record the first time perfectly, and then we yeah. didn't realize we weren't recording. <laughs> Can't it took the magic out of it, right? Can't, like catch that can't catch that lightning in a bottle twice. You man. really can't. You really can't. I'm sorry, guys. You what? missed the you missed the rehearsal. But you are here for what's happening now, and that's what's most important, right? I do believe so. I believe I that's do the, believe so. That's what they pay for here. But yeah, guys, we are sorry. We uh, we totally did a whole intro with uh, with some fire energy, and then we we're just like, and yeah. there is yeah, that's not actually recording. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot to turn the camera on, uh, so you guys could join us on YouTube. Um, if you guys don't know, if you're still listening to the podcast, wherever you know, and if you want to listen, that's fine. But if you'd like to join us on YouTube, my lovely wife Kristen inserts all types of pictures and uh, charts and crime scene photos or whatever else that she can find to help uh, help you along the story. Right, all the shit that you want to Google, anyways. I always say. Oh yeah, it also it definitely helps. Uh, definitely doesn't help hide any of the cuts we ever need to make. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Those pictures are not strategically placed. They're just for your viewing pleasure. Um, but yeah, guys, please watch and subscribe on YouTube. Also, you can follow us on TikTok, guys. Absolutely. Did you know that? I've been there. I've been following Are you on the TikToks. TikTok? Are you following us on TikTok? Now? I don't. I don't actually post on the TikToks. But no, I'll, no. I don't I'll either. occasionally creep on yeah, the TikToks. It, um, you guys, you know the Creeper Army. If you guys don't know, uh, my daughter Melody, who is 16, she runs the TikTok for us, and I think she does a fantastic job. Basically, what she does on the days the episode comes out, she listens through. Well, most of it, right? You know, she's probably skipping through quite a bit of it. She's she's heard enough of her dad. But she she's finding uh, different clips and stuff that she likes. She's posted them on TikTok. And sometimes she'll do little funny edits in there. She'll put, like, little Eric Cartman from South Park. And then she's made a little character for herself. Um, if nothing else, go check out the uh, pinned video on TikTok, and it'll explain it all. Yeah, that is uh, underscore true crime guys yes. underscore. But you can search true crime guys, and our profile comes up first. Yeah. So we'll find you. We'll find you, original true crime guys. That's right. Whoever took that <laughs> damn thing, we're coming for you. Uh, <laughs> but also, guys, I want to let, remind you guys of the new custom sticker design that Melody did as well. She's becoming a real MVP here uh, at TCG Productions. But this sticker design also on my cup here, product placement, Andy. Mm-hmm. So well, normally I have my nice little special laptop that has all the yeah. stickers to brand for us, but but we don't need your laptop. This no, I apparently I'm just here for commentary. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Uh, but yes, guys, you can get your own sticker right here. The link below the description of this episode, or you can go to TrueCrimeGuys.com and scroll down the main homepage. There, you'll see a picture of it with a link to buy. Um, also, speaking of you guys here on Patreon, another. We did it again, Andy. You know what we did? What's that? We did two cases in a row by the same person. Bam! That's how you know you were a good. That's how you know you're a good listener. That's how you know you're a. That's how you know you're a consistent participator, at least. You're a very valued listener. We're like, damn, that's a good one. Damn. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Put it on the list. So, Kendra, on Patreon, you get your second thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Second case in a row. I think Chelsea was the first one to do that, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Yeah, Chelsea. Uh, yeah, we did two of her suggestions back to back. I think they were Aussie Aussie cases, weren't they, Mike? I do believe you I might be right. Were. I think they were Aussie cases. But either way, uh, yeah, we said we would never do it again, and we lied. So we're doing it again. Um, so this week, if you can't read, if you didn't read the title for some reason, we are covering the kidnapping of Adolf Kors the Third. Why don't you Adam, crack it open a cold one That's there. right. From the Coors Brewing Company. Andy, are you familiar with beer? I am familiar <laughs> with beer. I am familiar with Coors and the cold yes. Rocky Mountain light. That's right. Only cold spring water. Never pasteurized, right? When the mountains turn blue, you know yep. it's good to go. That's, it doesn't rhyme, but it's true. Exactly. And you know what? Wait, know, does it rhyme now? I don't think so, but we oh. know you're too drunk to know that the beer is cold, so it, it color-coded it for you. Some <laughs> people's like... And blue enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like purplish, but whatever. <laughs> right. 
All right. So, yeah. So, our main focus of this episode was supposed to be the kidnapping and um, obvious murder of Adolf Kors III, okay? But I got a little carried away with the Kors family. I started looking into their history. And so, we're going to talk about a little bit more than just the kidnapping, but we are going to... We are going to... Cover the kidnapping mainly. What a multi-million or multi-billion-dollar family dynasty Listen, company might had, have some weird history behind they it. They might, Andy. They had a few secrets. There's some skeletons in the closet. <laughs> let's open these doors, Michael. Let's indeed. But let's let's start back at the event itself, right? The whole reason we're talking about this today. It was February 9th, 1960. When a milkman stopped and laid on his horn in the middle of a bridge over Turkey Creek near Morrison, Colorado. Some asshole was blocking the road with his station wagon. But after several honks, the milkman decided to get out and check on the driver. But wait, there was no driver. (gasps) Ghost car! No, (laughs) possibly. Yes. The station wagon was empty, with the engine running, and the radio was playing Who Are You by The Who. (gasps) That's a a good product placement right there, too. (laughs) No, it wasn't. But, But how cool would that be, though? But the radio was playing, which, that's a creepy scene in itself, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I've seen this meme going around a few times, and it's like, it's just like a really short, like two pictures put together, and it's like, what's it? I wonder what it's. I wonder what your radio does in a car crash. You know, what if your radio doesn't die in the car crash or whatever? Yeah, you're just upside down, like hanging out, you know, dead while this stupid music's playing on some like, yeah. local pop station or something. If your radio doesn't die when you or your radio doesn't yeah. cut off when your car crashes or whatever, it's yeah. like, what's the, what's the uh, paramedics gonna come up to? Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like Daft Punk's playing or something. And you're just hanging Do you in there. ever feel like a plastic bag? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, right? Some Katy Perry. But no, no, I don't know what was playing, but the radio was playing. Okay. So after the milkman starts looking around and calling out for any signs of life at all, he decides, shit, I'm just going to push this thing out of the way and keep going on about my day, right? I got milk to deliver, goddammit. I got milk to deliver and got, lonely housewives to pay visits. That's <laughs> right. I got illegitimate children to make. I got illegitimate children to make all over this suburb. <laughs> But as he does push the car out of the way, he notices a reddish-brown stain on the bridge, as well as a hat sitting mysteriously on the riverbank below. And you think, oh, why would he notice a hat? That's not that big a deal. Hats blow off out of cars all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But think about the hats they wore in the 60s, man. This thing was probably like a dope-ass fedora. Oh, you yeah. Know? I could have brought one of those in, too. Wore it. Put my little yeah, Indiana Jones brought, hat. That's exactly what it was. I mean, imagine if you dropped your Stetson off the bridge, man. You're going down there to get that shit. Oh, I'm jumping out the car. Yeah, I care. Yeah. It's still moving. Exactly. That's <laughs> probably what happened you know what come to think of it that's probably (laughs) case closed guys uh (laughs) no but obviously the milkman he had a bad feeling about this as you should and it just didn't smell right you know what i'm saying so he reported it to the police who quickly figured out the owner of the car was none other than heir to what would eventually become the fourth largest brewing company in the u.s adolf kors the third that's that shite or whatever it is yeah yeah eins zwei drei yeah yeah, right. let's roll the frickin' intro. Let's yes. get into it. They are what they say they are. They're pretty simple, homespun uh, folks who live up in the mountains and work hard on making their product. Coors was a $350 million corporation with no lawyers, no marketing department, no advertising department, and no accountants. The old man would do the financial planning for the next year on the back of an envelope. Together we stand and divided we fall. And we believe that strong family union is the key to success in business as well as success in life. I won't buy it. I won't drink it. I won't touch it. There are plenty of good beers around. Drink without drinking Coors. I said to the black people there, I said, you know what, your, your ancestors, I mean, came over here in chains, they ought to be grateful for it. You see, well, that boy, that really hit the fan. They're going to get lynched for that one. It's fun to paint them as these wild-eyed fascists, when in reality, they're a lot more moderate than we think. patriotic 
and uh, we love our American flag and all that goes with it. Apple pie and motherhood, I guess. <laughs> Alright, so let's start at the beginning of the Coors patriarchy. Let's crack it open. Okay, because it is one hell of a patriarchy. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, <laughs> as you might imagine, uh, a very strict, conservative German family might operate I mean, when, such. You're, when your current CEO is Adolf Coors III. <laughs> Hello. Adolf Coors. And Coor um, yeah. before you ask, uh, I know for sure of Adolf Coors IV. So um, I don't know how far... That name has continued to go. I mean, they, but they kept I know it going at this point. I saw Adolf Kors the Fourth interviewed in a documentary about this family. So, yeah, exactly. He exists. Okay. <laughs> there may so be. So, we're going to start way at the beginning uh, with the original Adolf Kors, the OG. Okay. Mm -hmm. No no suffix to the name, just this Adolf Kors. And it's Adolf with a PH, guys. It's, it's PH. Yeah. So, so, it's not like the other guy. Yeah, it's not like it's the not, other the other Adolf. Is there another one? I don't know. Yeah, I can't even think of it right now. But it's not. It's so not associated with him that it's mm -hmm. not even funny. Um, but in 1868, and uh, here's here's the old line from every self-made man: "With only 17 cents in my pocket, and at 21 years old," which was middle age back then. I yeah, mean, pretty what much. The fuck took him so long, right? man. Seriously. Uh, but Adolf Kors fled a turbulent Germany for the great land of opportunity, America. Mm, that's right. Go. Living a dream, baby. Uh-huh. And apparently upon arriving in New York, uh, they immediately wanted to send his ass back. Uh, but but he's quoted as saying, Give, Give me, me one year back and I will get a job. I will make some money. And if you don't send me back. <laughs> and if I don't, you if can send If I don't send me back. Me back. Oh, there you go. <laughs> this is the OG. Sorry, Adolf. I didn't understand. That's right. Your German, your German accent legitimately took me by surprise. So... <laughs> They square. So, so they were like, all right, whatever. Sounds good. At least you're white. Or whatever they said back then. <laughs> so, I don't oh, know. <laughs> you said that very aggressively, so what, you just come on past. Actually. Yeah, okay. But, uh, but old Adolf wasted no time getting to work, taking about every job that he could find. And eventually he became connected with some real pioneers who got word of the plentiful resources out in Colorado. So he joined them and made the move in 1872. Now, New York to Colorado, Andy, in 1872, mm -hmm. that does not sound comfortable, right? There's, like, there's got to be a term for how your ass feels when you ride across the country on a horse or wagon. You know what I mean? Like, let's camp here for tonight. I got rigamortis ass. <laughs> rigamortis. <laughs> I got rigamortis ass. I got rigamortis ass, baby. <laughs> that, that, oh, I got rigamortis. Oh, it's all stiff. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like this, yeah, it's just some like German that? Oregon trail going across here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what a damn trip, though. Seriously, with horse and buggy? Oh, yeah. I'm sure this uh, old world German man was super just pleasant the whole time oh, along right? the way. Yeah. yeah. Super pleasant He's from New joy. York to Colorado. He was telling jokes, you know, German ones, of course. Knock, knock. Who's that? We yeah. asked the questions. <laughs> it's a Robin Williams line. Shut the fuck up. It's my wagon. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he eventually got to Colorado, and he settled down in a town called Golden. Um, in just one freaking year, with his savings of $2,000 and an undisclosed investment amount from a partner, said to be over $2,000, uh, he opened a brewery in 1873. He turned that 17 cents into quite a bit on a, yeah. a long-ass trip yeah. from New York. To, how did you acquire this much money from what's New York excuse, to What's your excuse, Andy? <laughs> you know, what's your excuse? I don't have the fire that you this ever, man did, you, apparently. <laughs> You've never had 17 cents in your pocket. You never had that kind of motivation. Never turned it into two grand either. <laughs> that's 17 cents but, to two grand in, in 1878, too. It's like, that's yeah. a lot of money. Seriously. Seriously. So, yeah. So, he opened a brewery, okay? This is 1873. And, of course, we all know the beautiful light beer he produced was made with cold spring water that ran from the Rockies. But a lesser known is the original name of the beer, which was, of course, Hitler Light. Andy, did you know that? No, I did not know that. <laughs> Hitler Light. Hitler That's Light. Right. I think we. Ha I think we've seen I a know. couple of those guys it, now. It's weird, right? Uh, even seventy years before Hitler's rise to power. Okay. Yeah, but people didn't like it then either. People for some were reason. like, something doesn't taste right about this. <laughs> like something's not right about this name. Something is just. Yeah. Uh, it's not sitting well. Yeah, it didn't sit right with people, so they changed it to Coors Goldenbach. There we go. Yeah, we that go. that sat a little bit better. Obviously, guys, that was all bullshit, okay? It, yeah, it was know. called Gore's Goldenbach. Somebody don't give me a bad review. You don't even know shit, man. They were talking about Hitler. It was just 70 years before his... You know. yeah. 
<laughs> but regardless of the fake setback that I just made up, the beer grew in popularity and the business was thriving. So much so that in 1880, Adolf bought out his partner and became sole proprietor of Coors Brewing at age 33. I mean, it took him long enough. That's fucking retirement age. <laughs> at this point, yes. That is like, old man. You're about to die God. probably. How man. are you still going 33? at this point? God. The I amount mean, of gray hairs you, you know must Jesus have? died at 33. That's a true story. <laughs> it's a true story. At this point, I mean, it is. You know, so, just a little beer, just a little beer nerd thing. He also yeah. actually bought the recipe for a Pilsner and then just called it a golden box. So, you know what? It's just a little beer nerd trivia in there. <laughs> yeah. I feel better about knowing it now. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know the difference between the two. So that's, that's a problem. <laughs> it's all about taste. Of course. Of course. But around that same time, Adolf met Louisa Weber who happened to be the daughter of a successful businessman. And they fell madly in money. I mean love with each other. <laughs> yes! And were quickly married. Andy, can you believe it? I love your daughter's... Uh, it, it's just something <laughs> Financial about... Financial security. It's, it's something about her... Uh, it's a dowry. It's a dowry, okay? I like a dowry. <laughs> yep. And Adolf had done it, okay? He came to America. He became a successful entrepreneur. He married the girl with the rich father of his dreams. Exactly. And he was happy, right? <laughs> he was happy. That is the American dream. That's right. <laughs> Marry a rich girl out in Colorado. <laughs> right. Well, at least he played the part for a while, okay? He and Louisa, they bought a home out in the mountains and raised their children on old-fashioned German values, you know? Man, that just sounds like a barrel of fun, doesn't it, Andy? That sounds so much fun. Yeah, yeah like a Dwight Schrute childhood. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Very much so. We do not have the laughter. We have the no, chantings. No, no. <laughs> yeah, um, old Adolf, the OG Adolf was like... Yeah, no fun. No, don't have fun in my presence. It is disrespectful. You know, that's... we're not meant to have fun. We are meant to work. We are meant to earn some money. Yeah, one of his grandchildren was quoted as saying, "Like you, you did. He didn't even like bounce you on his lap or nothing like that. Like all of that was considered just child's play, just ridiculous things." Yeah, it's like it's I barely, a waste like, of time. He met he met all of his grandchildren the first time, but like just a firm handshake. Yeah, <laughs> very nice to meet you. Just start screaming because squeezing the. He's a baby father. It's a very weak handshake. You need to work on your grip. You'll never be second seen and see what's a handshake like this. <laughs> right, right. Very, yeah. very rude. Yeah. Well, he, did, he didn't want to spoil them, man. He thought playing with children spoiled children. I don't want these, I don't want these soft babies to be any more soft. Look right. at how soft they are. Look, <laughs> pop, pop. It's so soft. So soft. Skull not even all the way together. <laughs> but, oh, you were rushing but, there. <laughs> sorry. Skull all the way together. <laughs> it's like grew from fucking uh, Despicable Me over here. Uh, but on the whole, things were looking pretty good for the Coors family, okay? That was until Prohibition hit. As you can imagine, that might, you know, a beer company might suffer from Prohibition. <laughs> yeah. But many historians believe that Adolf foresaw this little setback and pivoted accordingly, okay? Well, at least enough to stay afloat. I wouldn't say, like, uh, enough to maintain their lifestyle even. No. Uh, you, they took a serious hit here. Yeah, a lot of breweries and wineries and distilleries during yeah. during the Prohibition times, they all either had to scramble to figure out something else to produce yep. or just go under. Right. And since he was set up for beverage already, he did go into the malted milk business. But um, I don't think there's just a huge market for malted milk. I mean, I don't think you got so. it, how much malted milk you got at home, Andy? Uh, you know, I probably got a good... I don't have any. I don't, I don't have, have any. any. Yeah, I don't have any either. I don't, I don't even know where it is in the grocery store. Um, but yeah, malted milk and also began producing his own line of porcelain products in 1912. Nice you know, vases and bowls yeah. and statues of a certain small mustache figures. Small mustached <laughs> come over in something like that. Again, 30 years ahead of time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, still too early. Oh, he's a visionary, um, man. He sees the future, apparently. That's right, right. Well, whatever they made, it made them the U.S.'s top supplier of porcelain by the time of World War One. So how about that, Andy? Made a lot okay. of toilets, apparently. Yeah, but I guess people still didn't need much porcelain during the war because they still struggled financially. Now, I don't really know what struggling is for the Coors family. You know what I mean? All families have a different, uh, a different idea of what struggling is. And I think the Coors family was like we can't afford to upgrade our Bentley this year type of struggling. Yes, we have to get to last year's model of Rolls Royce. Right, like exactly. But at the same time, this is like, this is prohibition, which then leads into like, you have the Great Depression, like you have the war, you have all this stuff that's about to take place. Not to mention all the anti-German sentiment that come along with it. 
Yeah, so it's uh, they are he is in like a pretty tumultuous time in American history to yes. have this massive company. But yeah, he is one of the biggest alcohol the, barons of the American West. Oh, no doubt. And although they're, you know, I really don't think their financial security was really at, at stake here, but maybe their safety, like I said, as far as their place in their community, in their local, you know, their local community, they were not seen in great light. Mm-hmm. Um, being rich, being powerful, and then being German as well. With the anti-German sentiment, it was on an all-time high. I mean, uh, bar the 1940s, of course. It um, might hit up. There might be one yeah, there might higher be one spot, more but... high coming up, but, you know, before that. Um, but Adolf and his family were starting to feel the sting. Um, people would even yell insults at them just, just for crossing the street. They didn't even know who they were. They were just yelling at them because they were German, I guess, you know. Wow, if you can tell someone's German by the way they cross the street. Yeah. How are you crossing that... the street? <laughs> Dude, very authoritatively. Very I steppy, I yeah, guess. Yeah, very. You're really, you're really stepping. Uh, but so you know what they say, when people hate who you are, just abandon your past and roots and buy into your new country's patriotism to the utmost degree. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I, I think people say that. Yeah, I do think I've seen that cross it somewhere. Yes. Um, but that's basically what Adolf did. Uh, he became involved in politics, conservative politics, of course. <laughs> and during the nation's 13 long years of prohibition, he fought tirelessly to get it overturned. Uh, he really was missing that beer money, man. I mean, as you can imagine, when that's all you've built your entire fortune on, you're like, listen, I'm not turning back now, motherfucker. I yeah, I mean, and you're still set up to run. Yeah, it's I've like everything's whole, just on pause. I've got all the infrastructure ready to go. Right. It's I, just and this malted milk is just stinking up the place. It's just fucking <laughs> sits it's here, garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also around this time that he started to share a little of the company responsibilities with his favorite son. You guessed it, Adolf Kors, Jr. The second. Uh, no, he's junior. Well, still. Well, second yeah. would be like if you skip. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like if the grandson was named after the grandfather, then he would be the second. Okay. I never, I never really thought about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Adolf Coors Jr. Yeah. So he was an immediate heir of Adolf Coors. Now, throughout the 1920s, Adolf Jr. kept the ball rolling and really kept his father's traditions alive. Basically a carbon copy of his dad, really, in management style and home life. Here's an interesting part um, in one of the documentaries, which I linked below, where they talk about Junior's strict regime. He got haircuts on Sundays, no idle chit-chat at the table, and their mother kept a bad book, which held every bad thing the children did throughout the week. And when their father had time, he would go over the book and deal out the punishments as he saw fit. That is the most like <clears throat> dark, stereotypical German like upbringing you could ever imagine. Yeah. Just no chit-chat, no instructions. I keep records of all of your mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> father yeah. would be home to deal with the judgment when, you get home, when he gets here. And this guy was an American. <laughs> I don't even nurse you. I give you malted milk from the start when we had to make malted milk. <laughs> right. What else are we going to do without this malted milk? You will drink it. <laughs> we use the same bowl for your hair and your brother's hair and, your hair and my hair. <laughs> Pretty much, dude. Pretty much. But it wasn't all bad, okay? I mean, I think, uh, I think the kids... You know, some people would be like, boo freaking who with your silver spoon in your mouth, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, But it wasn't all bad. They also suffered from uh, exotic vacations and grew up on a literal estate in in the Colorado mountains where they ran free, made cowboy movies, all kinds of shit. They had streams on their property, lakes, like... How many kids had shit to make movies with in the 20s, Andy? Exactly. This, that's how big their property they, was, too, that they could actually they would actually rent out their property to movie studios. Be like, yeah, oh, yeah, come yeah. shoot here. Yeah, dude, hang out. Hang out. The kids were making freaking movies. Dude. Yeah, this is a massive, like They a had compound. so much money, their kids were running around with, with at that time, probably state-of-the-art camcorders or whatever the hell they called them at the time. You know yeah, I'm, I'm guessing they probably weren't moving they too were like much. They like reel-to-reel. Yeah. No, the, the videos are actually pretty good. Really? If you check out the documentary, there's some clips of them. I mean, obviously, they're, you know, like the, the old-timey videos where they're kind of moving fast. You know what I mean? And they usually would play music over them. Benny Hill music. It's like that, but it's really clear. You can tell. And then, like, the the documentary talks about how they're like, here's a video of them playing uh uh, what do they call them? Bandits or something like that, where half of the boys were pretending that they were bandits kidnapping one of their sisters, mm-hmm. and then the other half like had to save them or whatever, and oh, they yeah, were like rolling around hiding behind deal. rocks. Yeah. Cool. I, I, yeah, yeah I, cool. I had seen that their property was just so massive. It was literally like, like you said, an estate, like a compound. Like It was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, it is what you imagine the Coors family leg- like lives in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, in a way, these kids kind of lived in a fairy tale, you know, when daddy wasn't there, which he was busy quite a bit. Um, But they would get their first dose of reality in 1929. 
this this is interesting, okay? When Adolf Kors, the OG, okay, the OG patriarch, and his wife, Luisa, were on vacation in a high-rise hotel in Virginia Beach, um, he was battling a very bad flu at the time. But on June 5th, 1929, Adolf Kors was found dead at 82 years old. The paper read that he, quote, died of sudden heart disease this morning as he was dressing for the day, end quote. Mm-hmm. But why was he on the ground outside of the hotel? The theories range from heart attack or accident to suicide, and it's my opinion that the family seems to be leaning more towards the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the official family story is Grandpa got confused and walked out a window. But, okay. But he I mean, was not confused. He wasn't suffering from any type of dementia at the time. He was under a lot of stress. I mean, that was according to him. But it was, I think it was more the stress of like, what am I going to do with my life now? I'm retiring. What's the point? Mm-hmm. I think he felt worthless. Um, one quote from his grandson, Bill Coors, stated that the stress of the of the failing ceramic and malted milk business uh, combined with, because this is still during Prohibition, combined with his wife and daughters driving him nuts may have pushed him over the edge. That's what his grandson speculates. Um, so you can take that for what it was. So, so are, are we also agreeing that's like the, the, the paper says he died of sudden like heart disease, <clears throat> but the family correct. says grandpa got confused and fell out a window. Yes. So it's like, okay, well, how do you acknowledge this? It's like either he had a heart attack and fell out the window. Yeah. Or he well, just fell what out the, the window. The paper is the paper. Yeah, yeah. The paper is alluding to the fact that yeah, he had a heart condition. They're not saying where he fell or where he was standing. Mm. You know, they're you know they gotcha. don't want to talk about that. Of course not. No. You know, you know that's not good for the hotel. Um, but, yeah, or yeah, it's not good for the hotel or the <laughs> Coors family. Exactly. But whatever happened, it left Adolf Jr. in charge, starting in 1933. And shortly after, there was a kidnapping plot discovered, and Junior was the target. Dun, dun, dun. This is fishy too, man. Exactly. Uh, he even volunteered to let himself be kidnapped to help catch the criminals. It's like, how do, how do you get word of this type of thing? It's, you know what I mean? It's like, I it's don't like know. It's like, unless you're I talking guess... about like a Pablo Escobar type how? cartel thing, or like some kind of yeah. like organized crime unit like, that how you're do monitoring. They have a snitch on the inside of just some guys who were just going to do a kidnapping plot. Or maybe it was a bigger organization and they did have a snitch in there. Yeah, that's the only thing I, I could know. think of too. It's like <clears> at this time period, like what organizations were trying to do this? Was, like, was this like corporate espionage? Was this some I kind of no like freaking idea? It's like, how do you guys know this pre recorded chatter? It's like, it's like right? you're not listening to terrorist cells or something at this point. I know. I don't, I don't get how they found out about it, but, but they did. And, um, like I said, Adolf was totally on board, oh, Junior, to be kidnapped uh, to help the, the police find these guys. But that actually wouldn't be necessary um, for a very strange turn of events because on their way to kidnap Junior, this merry bunch of bandits got a flat tire and were luckily helped by a police officer, Andy. You know what? That's such a great That's story to hear right. a, just a good old Protect officer of the serve. peace. Yeah, officer of the peace just serving his community. Right. And helping him with this flat tire. Exactly. A, and guess what? They were having bigger problems than that. They were. Because this officer was fully aware that this kidnapping plot was supposed to go down this day. And they were looking for basically a car that matched this description. And, you know, all of the kidnapping paraphernalia is what they called in the documentary. I guess they had ropes, handcuffs, uh, weapons, you know, things of the like yeah. in the car. It was, uh, yeah, it was pretty damning evidence. So like when they busted guys... uh, Ted Bundy with his kill kit or whatever, or his yeah. burglar kit, it's like, why do you have everything? You have a checklist. Right? What the fuck, dude? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, they arrested these guys on the spot. Um, now, during the Depression... Junior did his best to quietly run the company while also grooming his sons for takeover. One in particular, and guess who it is? I'm guessing uh, maybe a third Adolf? You are correct, sir. He's <laughs> there we the go. star of today's show, Adolf the Third. Uh, Junior's two younger boys went to Ivy League schools and got degrees that would later help them in the business, but Adolf the Third was more of a hands-on kind of guy, apparently. You know, like his father and his grandfather. Very true, but I also, yeah. I, I feel like it was also, it's like, well, you're the first son, you stay here. Yeah. You're going to run this, you yeah. don't need school, you need this. This, right? It's like, I mean, but if you already have that kind of launching pad, you really don't need school. Those other guys were just trying to make a point. Yeah, they were going to be yeah. other like officers in the company. They were going to, that was people who were actually going to work in the company. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
But it wasn't long until tragedy struck the Coors family again. The whole reason we decided to cover the Coors family in the first place, the kidnapping and murder of Adolf III. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we're back to the beginning before the intro. The young heir to the Coors Brewing Company fortune uh, had left his house, which was not far from the bridge earlier that morning, and had not been seen since. Searchers quickly spread out over the area looking for the missing 45-year-old father. He had four kids at the time. Um, in addition to the hat that we mentioned at the beginning, that Stetson or whatever it was, and a pair of his glasses, a few other objects were found belonging to Coors below the bridge, uh, but no other trace was found. Mm-hmm. He had seemingly disappeared. Okay? And remember, the car was running up at the top, too. It's like you had to think, did he did he walk down here maybe and stumble? You know, maybe he saw something yeah, maybe and he just got him. out of the car to go get something. It's like you don't think kidnapping right away no. with no evidence of a struggle there. Yeah, there's no there's no stuff. evidence of the, the car wasn't even shut off. Like you said, it was like it literally looked like he had stopped the car and either ran away or yeah. fallen off the bridge or something. There was no yeah. other tire tracks. There was nothing. It was just ghost. Listen, y'all, I understand. Summer is crazy enough without having the extra burden of having to decide what's for dinner every single night, right? It's exhausting. But I got just the solution for you, and it's HelloFresh. You can take a bite out of summer with HelloFresh. From chef-crafted seasonal recipes to their new fresh and fit summer menu, HelloFresh brings flavor right to your door. But did you know that HelloFresh offers more than just delicious dinners? It's now easier than ever to skip that extra grocery store run by adding snacks, sides, and more to your weekly order. Simply shop HelloFresh Market and take your pick from a curated selection of over a hundred items. I love seeing that HelloFresh box on my front porch because then I know dinner is taken care of. Like last night, me and the family enjoyed sweet chili pork and cabbage stir fry. It was delicious, something a little outside the box for us, something that we wouldn't have typically made or maybe thought of. HelloFresh gives you everything, all the ingredients. It took about 20 minutes to make it total, and we're sitting at the table eating, enjoying time together. Honestly, there's no better time to give HelloFresh a try. Go to HelloFresh.com creeper50 and use code word creeper50 for 50% off plus free shipping. Now you may be thinking, Michael, haven't you guys advertised for every plate another meal plan service in the past? Yes, we have. But HelloFresh actually owns every plate now. They have teamed up, and that is why there's so many new and exciting options available with HelloFresh. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Creeper50. Use code Creeper50 for 50% off plus free shipping. Links to the website and the code word are below the description of this episode. Let's get back to the show. Because of these circumstances, there was no 48 hours of bullshit, especially not someone rich and powerful. Yeah, of you're not when, not when there's a um, uh, you know, Fortune 500 company's uh, CEO missing. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Exactly. And just 24 hours later, the FBI was involved even. FBI's Denver division became involved, and being only one day after the course disappearance, the federal kidnap- kidnapping statute could be invoked, which would allow full access to FBI resources for anything, anything the, the even the local police needed. I think even the RCMP uh, got involved in this as well. So anything they needed, the FBI was there for them. Yeah, like J. Edgar so, Hoover himself was like, we will, this is the number one thing I'm focused on right now. This and yes. the panties I am wearing. <clears throat> yes. And their first clue came as quite a haunting, uh, quite a haunting happening. And it's when Cor's wife, Mary, received a typewritten note that same day, demanding a ransom for the return of her husband. And I will let Andy read that note for you now. Mrs. Coors, your husband has been kidnapped. His car is by Turkey Creek. Call the police or FBI. He dies. Corporate, he lives. Ransom, $200,000 in tens. $300,000 in twenties. There will be no negotiating. Bells, non-consecutive, unrecorded, unmarked. Warning, we will all know if you call the police or record the serial numbers. Directions, place money and this letter and envelope in one suitcase or bag. Have two men with car ready to make the delivery. When all is set, advertise a tractor for sale in the Denver Post. Section 69. Nice. So specific. Nice. <laughs> Sign at 
King Ranch, Fort Lupton. Wait at NA 94455 for instruction. After ad reappears. Delivery immediately after receiving call. Any delay will be regarded as a stall to set up a stakeout. Understand this. Adolf's life is in your hands. We have no desire to commit murder. All we want is that money. If you will follow the instructions, he will be released and unharmed within 48 hours after the money is received. Very good, sir. <gasps> very good. <laughs> One nice. take. Very nice. Very nice. So, yes, see? Very scary letter. Especially written. It's all written. very formal, too. It's very. It's like typed out like a like a document. It's not like a normal ransom note that you would see. No. It's all kind of like jumbled. It's like properly tabbed and spaced right? and punctuated. Like this person is educated or has like clerical experience or something? It looks like it's like a like an actual like formal document. <laughs> like someone is like, I filled out the form. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I filled out the ransom form here. Like now take it. <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. When do I get my copy? Like when? Like okay. Like do Fingerprint I need to, free? Right. Do I need to bring like the original or do I have photocopy? Like here, I, I filled out the form. It's so yeah. it's just such a formal, just documented ransom note. That's so strange. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so Mary naturally reached out to law enforcement about this, and they told her to cooperate. Um, and so she did. She contacted the kidnapper, but never heard anything back. The FBI laboratory began analyzing the available evidence, especially the ransom note, which had a, dis a very distinct typeface and was written on paper with an uncommon watermark. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, local police pursued leads closer to the scene of the crime. They soon focused in on a canary yellow mercury that had been seen in the area on several occasions and tried to track down its driver, who they found out to be a man who called himself Walter Osborne. I just I, sounds like an alias. That is a badass name, though. It is. It sounds like it just, but it sounds so. It's like that's too cool of a name. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it's your like, name. It's not. It's not it's your not name. Your it's not your name. It's too cool. It's Sorry. not your name. Sorry. What like one thing I was me and Michael were talking about beforehand. We were talking about like that strange type case. How they figured out this was actually some pretty cool like CSI type work for back in the '60s to be able to like. Oh yes. Look at this ransom note. Notice the the way that the letters were typed on the page. There was like a millimeter difference on the S going down the line, and this like format. Right. It's right. like it was almost like every typewriter had its own little signature to be able to like okay Which they this, did right. Yeah, it's like this yeah. typewriter with this font, with this spacing, with this line, you know, differential or whatever, could be traced back to this market and this like manufacturer. Yeah. So they were able to track like by, by just by looking at the typewritten note, how like when it where where this came from, what brand of typewriter was used, mm -hmm. what model like years, and where this was sold in this area. So they actually were able to do like a deep dive CSI in 1960. Like it's pretty intense. Well, they were the fire was under their asses. Let's not be yeah. Let's not like said. Let's not had, act like they just decided to really you had kick a, your asses into gear. No, you had a fishnet ridden J, uh, J Edgar Hoover up your ass right there, just really riding you. Yes, exactly. So. The search for this Walter Osborne character, right? So the FBI learned that Osborne had disappeared around the exact time of Kor's abduction. Hmm. Coincidence? I think not. But before doing so, he purchased a gun. Doesn't look good. Handcuffs. Okay. Oh, and guess what, Andy? One more thing. A typewriter. Shking! Yikes. Nice. Yes. So he had pretty much the triple threat there. The Bureau also learned that Osborne had obtained an insurance policy at a previous job, and a man named Joseph Corbett was the beneficiary. Who is this Joseph Corbett you, oh. you, you speak of, <laughs> Well, Mr. Corbett is nobody special, but he had a son, Joseph Corbett Jr., who had been convicted of murder and had recently escaped from a California prison. Okay, this is exactly who I want to leave my, my life insurance policies to, this, exactly. convicted, this convicted murderer. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So naturally, Corbett Jr. is a chief suspect in the Coors case now. And so the FBI obtained a fugitive warrant for him and placed him on the 10 most fugitives list. 10 most wanted fugitive list. Mm -hmm. um, and throughout the summer of 1960, Corbett Jr.'s trail remained cold. Yeah, it was it was quite a while for they catch this like guy. Like Rocky Mountain cold. That's right, like just cold like the spring the water. But the trail leading to Adolf Kors the third ended on September eleventh, nineteen sixty, when some hikers came across a pair of trousers in the woods, and some say a garbage dump. I've heard both. 
Um, but either way, it was just south of Denver. Like, if I swear to God, every resource you check into about the way his remains were found is different. Yeah. Right? It's like, in some of the discrepancies, I'm like, these are big discrepancies. Like, two hikers found him in the woods. Okay. And then you hear on some things that, like, two hikers found um, or two people found clothes in the trash. And mm-hmm. then that led them to believe that, you know, he might be in this area or whatever. It's, yeah, there's no, so it's, many discrepancies about the way his body was found. It's back, It ties back to that CIA or that CSI type stuff that I was talking about, where they really were able to do some like some deep investigating at this point, to where it's it was in the woods because they were able to track coming up when they find the car, the right. soil from the the uh, the wooded area where his body was found yeah. was still on the bottom of the car. There you go. So it's like they were able to actually match it. So yeah, it is. It's in a wooded area, like out in the woods, like forty five minutes from the okay. the original kidnapping scene. Yeah. So he he got him and drove forty five minutes away. Yes. Out into the woods. So. Okay. Okay. Um, but the uh, pair of trousers that they found, the pants had a key ring bearing the initials AC three. So that's. That sounds like if he was like a quarterback, that would be like his nickname. He's a wide receiver. Yeah, he's like AC3. Oh, bro, did you hear AC3 got traded? Um, But the trousers, the other other items of clothing, and of course, the skeletal remains were determined to belong to Adolf Kors III. Mm -hmm. Um, A jacket and a shirt had bullet holes that showed that he'd been shot in the back. And later, analysis of a shoulder bone would actually confirm this. Yeah, two bullet holes in the back, like through yeah. the like in the back uh, right. So it was like it went through his lungs, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I think I imagine probably the two men got into a scuffle that day on the bridge, and then maybe Adolf was like, "Oh shit, he's got a gun," and turned to get back in his car. Yeah, I thought and he could he shot him. Yeah, my car's still running. I can just jump yeah, in and go. Exactly. Because this guy's car is pretending to be broken or broken down. I can just yeah. floor it. You can just back up too, you know, mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, the story of Kors' disappearance uh, remained prominent in the public eye and was featured in all sorts of media, including Reader's Digest. Uh, Meanwhile, Corbett Jr.'s wanted photo was being shared all over America, but it was Canada who would break the case to be far. Oh, Canada. (laughs) That's right. One Canadian Reader's Digest reader showed the RCMP and their FBI allies to an apartment rented by a man who resembled Corbett Jr. But unfortunately, the man had recently moved on. Mm. But they were hot on his trail, though. I do love the pictures they were showing of Corbett at this time. Like, I was, I I laughed at Michael. I was like, I think that's D.B. Cooper, actually. That's definitely D.B. Cooper. (laughs) I think they were just, they just found D.B. Cooper's sketch and were like, (laughs) that one. (laughs) We'll take it. Um, But the FBI lucked out again, even though they got to the hotel late. Uh, The next day, when the manager of a rooming house in Winnipeg called local police to report that a man who looked like the fugitive had recently stayed at their flop house. Okay. Mm -hmm. Seems like there's a little kind of a, almost like the Richard Ramirez, where all the townspeople are like, I see him. I see him. Oh, there he is. (laughs) Yep. And they're tracking him. All these Canadian people are just like, there he is. Hey. 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 I see him. There he is. (laughs) See him? (laughs) Hey, over here. Oh, I think I saw him. Yeah, I'll give you a call. That's right. Well, not only did they see him at this flop house, I guess it's a Canadian term, um, but they also noted that he was driving a fire engine red Pontiac. So pretty Ew. noticeable. Probably had a golden bird on the hood. Yeah, get that fire Damn bird. Trans Am. Got his, his hair blowing the wind. Yeah. <laughs> But that new information went out across Canada, and on October 29, 1960, a Vancouver police officer reported a similar vehicle parked outside a local motor inn. Check and, out that badass Firebird right yeah. there. Yeah. He's fucking... Oh, wait. Wait, are we looking for one of those? Uh, pull that guy. <laughs> oh, shit, shit. Sorry. We were... <laughs> Uh, But soon, police, with the assistance of the FBI's Toronto office, were knocking on the door of the hotel room. The man who answered said, quote, I give up. I'm the man you want. So Corbett, yeah, apparently they uh, he they opened the door and they said his name. He was just like, yeah, yep, that's me. Like, damn it, <laughs> like really thought this was gonna go further, but yeah, shit. yeah all right, that's <laughs> me. <laughs> like, damn it, that's right. I mean, he he escaped from prison. How long did he really think he was gonna be out though? You know, I mean, he had a, it seemed like he had a contingency plan for his prison time. You or escaped his... from prison and then you immediately killed somebody. You like, immediately thought that my but the, the maybe, golden plan is I'm gonna kidnap yeah. the, like the CEO of Coors. Yeah, bad idea, man. Yeah, maybe maybe he had a bunch of money waiting on him somewhere. You know, he thought he did. He thought he did. That's thought he was definitely gonna have a lot of money waiting for him. Yeah, 
But either way, his ass was dragged back to Colorado where he was tried by the state of Cor- state for Coors' murder. Because Coors' remains were found within the state, he wasn't tried on federal kidnapping charges. Okay. Now, during the trial, the FBI offered 23 agents, five lamb examiners, and a fingerprint expert to help put forward an ironclad case. And, of course, there was the ransom note, believed to have been typed on Corbett Jr.'s typewriter, and damning evidence taken from his canary yellow mercury, which was seen mm-hmm. at the scene, or witnessed at the scene, uh, which was recovered by law enforcement in New Jersey shortly after Core's disappearance. So, yeah, that's another thing you have to remember. It's like the car now, he used also disappears like alongside yeah. of him. And he then tried to then destroy found, this canary yellow yeah, car. Yeah, and then that car is found in New Jersey on fire. Like, so it's like, it is a, it's, that's why they're like, we have got to get the FBI involved. Like that car we saw is now a Jersey dump somewhere. This guy has clearly been transported across the state. So. Yep. He's he had connections, dude. He absolutely did. Um, but on March 19th, 1961, Joseph Corbett was convicted and sentenced to a life in prison. Now, what did this awful event do to the Coors family? Well, for one, they upped their security tenfold. Uh, I can tell you that. And they slipped even more into their own reclusive properties and became more careful of who they hired in the future as well. Maybe too careful. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Okay. Um, Also, another staple of the Coors culture um, was a eulogy that was written by Adolph Jr. about his son, the third, and was to be read before every single board meeting. And Adolph the Third's chair, Ad is what they called him, Ad's chair was always to remain open. Yeah, after you're Can, named Adolf in 1946, yeah. I'm going to go by Ad. Let's just too. go by Ad. Let's just, just go Ad. by Ad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to add to things here. Uh, but could you imagine being like a new guy at the company and accidentally sitting in Ad's chair? Yes. And then his dad walks in. Fired. <laughs> just like no. Dr. Evil, he has one of those buttons. It's just a chair it kicks just back. Them into the the chair just fire. kicks back into a fire pit. It's like, that was Ad's chair. I'm badly hurt, but I'm still alive. <laughs> Who forgot to tell the new man about the empty chair? Exactly. His blood is on your hands. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But anyway, let's, let's, let's talk about this hiring process, okay? Coors actually began giving polygraph tests, dude as a mandatory part of the hiring process. All the while, they were asking you questions about your religious and political affiliations, okay? okay? And sometimes even your sexual preferences. Okay, this does sound like you're actually applying for a cartel. Yeah. <laughs> with with a polygraph going on. That's now. what I'm saying. They're all they're strapped up. They've got a thing across your head like, yeah, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Shit, uh. <laughs> it's like, answer as you will, but they're going to take their own assumptions from every single answer that you give, you know? I mean, forgive the expression, but that's that's pretty Nazi of them. That's just pretty I mean, third. That's a it's pretty third Reiki. That's pretty crazy, man. The basic takeaway is that they wanted nothing to do with the limelight at the time. They just wanted to live in obscurity, man. They thought obscurity meant security. Yeah, just we we built mm-hmm. it, and now we are done. We we yeah. just get to reap the benefits now and live our lives, which is like that is the American dream. Like start yeah. your a billion dollar corporation and just be like, yep. Done. Family's mm-hmm. taken care of forever. Well, yeah, until you get one family member who just can't take it anymore. He just has to tell the world how he feels, Andy, because he's so important. God damn it. There's always yeah, one. There's always there's one. Always one. And <laughs> this family's one is Joe Coors. Okay? Because the family stayed uh, hidden away from the limelight where they wanted to be until the 60s, where Joe Coors' political affiliations would pull the family back into the spotlight. Joe was just as conservative as his forefathers, but way, way, way more vocal about it. Ah. He was a radical white right winger, to say the least, uh, supporting the Vietnam War and fighting against hippies everywhere. Okay, You're fighting against hippies. Against hippies, man. You're on the right side of history. <laughs> All right. But regardless of his controversial reputation, as well as the company's, Joe and his brother Bill ran cores together, taking over after their father's death in 1970 and continued to have success. I did find it funny that both Joe and Bill, like, I think, no, it was, uh, it's Ad, like Adolf, the original, the son, Adolf the Third. Yeah. He's, the, he's supposed to be taking over the CEO of the company. He right. is allergic to beer. And then Joe... That's right. And then Joe and Bill, I think it's I think it's Joe, he just doesn't like beer. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, I don't... Uh, it's kind of yucky. I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, could you imagine you being that disappointed father? Just be like, all right, it's my son. You will have your first drink. Why is your face turning red? 
what do you mean you can't breathe? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just looking down and like, this one is broken. <laughs> I was putting this beer in his baby bottle and look at him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was strict, man. I wonder when they did drink, though, you know? I mean, they're kind of a no-nonsense lifestyle. It was probably just kind of like a, you know, traditional with dinner or whatever. Yeah, but apparently, apparently Adolf Sr. did not really have, like, faith in his other two sons. Like, he did not really no. have faith in, like, he was like, nope, this one's not really ready to run the company. This no. one doesn't even like the product. And this one, that's just Bill. I don't know. Ah, <laughs> fucking Bill. He'll fuck it up somehow. Uh <laughs> But they were doing all right. They were doing all right until 1977. All right, that's when the Corps workers went on strike. They had enough of the ridiculous working conditions, including the polygraphs, and not to mention discrimination. Uh, one former employee stated that if a department head got word, just got word, of a marijuana cigarette, okay, they would stop. Don't even go there, Andy. They would stop and search the entire department, including pockets, personal lockers, even going through their employees' cars. Yep. All right. And if you de- right. if you denied it, you could be fired. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fucked up, right? <laughs> I'm a little heated now. I'm a little heated. A little heated. <laughs> Calm down. Here. This is- <clears throat> But listen, but what angered these co-workers, these workers, not co-workers, these workers of uh, Coors the most was that their owner, Joe Coors, was constantly campaigning for things that were not in their best interest as workers. And what hurt more than the strike was the boycott that these workers caused. Oh my God, yes. Right? It just seems silly. After profiting in the shadows like all those years, uh, the family would allow someone like Joe to just bust in there. I guess because he was one of the oldest then, there was no one to tell him what to do. Yeah, and, and you know, Joe, um, uh, Adolf the or Adolf Senior is dead now. He's he passed away in 1970. Yeah, Junior. Yeah, Adolf Junior. Yeah, yeah. Junior is passed. The third is gone. Now it's you, right? So I guess he thought, well, I'm the I'm the oldest now. I'm the patriarch. So I'm gonna do what the hell I want to do. And Daddy's not here to yell at me anymore. That's right. And he nearly killed the company. Um, but. Yeah, I just don't understand how they let him go public with that shit. Um, Joe really believed, though, I I believe that Joe really believed what he was fighting for uh, was worth it. It was worth it all. And he truly thought that he was going to make a change, I think. Not, I, he just he just couldn't see how his workers might disagree, you know? How could you not I, agree with me? How could you not agree? Look, all of my butlers agree. Right. Don't look look at them. Look at Agree with me. Agree with, agree see, with they me. They all agree. <laughs> Agree with me or you're fired. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, despite Joe's divisive <laughs> political campaign, the boycott only grew in popularity. Can you believe that, Andy? Never. Never with, can. About, <laughs> with about every somewhat liberal organization and minority group stepping up to say fuck cores. You know, just give them that big old fuck course. And they fucked course for 10 years, actually. <laughs> yeah, um, you kind of did. And they, and they fell from America's number four brewer all the way down to number six. And the effects are still being felt oh my to God. this day. So tragic. Do they even exist? The amount of pure Arabian horses on this family's farm now <laughs> is dwindled down to 60. <laughs> but listen, like, I don't know. I, I just don't believe, I don't believe all the propaganda, even back then, about this shit, about the Coors thing. Because at the same time where they're struggling so bad, uh, Joe, Mr. Politician Joe, like, he was there during the whole President Reagan swing, right? Mm-hmm. And he was literally rubbing el- elbows with Ronald Reagan at the time. And that was his, like, you know, top moment in politics i guess yeah very influential very lobbyist it was kind of a signal that they were going to recover which obviously you still see cores in every damn store you go to so oh yeah they're doing just fine yeah so i was i was kind of enlightening michael on some of the the beer companies now and how they've kind of like some of them have monopolized or kind of not monopolized they've they've merged so we have like Miller, like Miller uh, Beer and Coors, they merged yeah. uh, to make Miller. That's Miller Coors now. We have yeah. AB InBev, which Miller is Coors. Uh, Anheuser-Busch uh, Brewing and stuff. So it's like those are the two big ones in America. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like Coors just partnered right up with Miller. And now they are one big conglomerate against you know or AB InBev. Right, right. So yeah, Coors ended up doing just fine, but it wasn't like they were going to go under. You still had the Heck biggest no. brewery and definitely in Colorado. Yeah, so. they're freaking fine, dude. They're fine. So what do you think happened? Uh, 
What, I mean, you think it's pretty cut and dry? Do you think um, Corbett was working with somebody? I feel like he was working with somebody. You know? I feel like he probably yeah. had... Like you said, the car's getting across the country. What the hell? This like, is a bigger plot, right? Yeah, because the car... Unless... Because we, we couldn't really track him. But it's like, if he already knew this plan, he'd kind of been thinking about it. And people did say, like, uh, who worked with him, they're like, he was very odd. He didn't really have any friends. He didn't really talk a lot. He went right home. And so I'm like, I don't know if he was really like planning something with somebody in the state. I feel like maybe right. he had like somebody out of state maybe he was working with, or maybe somebody like long distance because it mean, just seems very Somebody in to... New Jersey? Maybe. Huh? Yeah, uh, it just somebody seems... with some different perspectives. Somebody in a waste management business. Yeah, somebody in waste ma- He was found in a dump, saying, some say. I mean, sanitation. That's right. What if he, oh man. That kind of gives a little more credence to the being found in a dump thing. Yeah, and the car was all the car was burned with gasoline, so the interior was all dissolved. They couldn't yeah. get blood samples and things like so. They but they were able to find. They were still able to get enough off the car though. They were able to get the soil samples off the yeah, car, especially yeah. that was where they really tied it back to them. They should have took like, it apart. They t- they were able to go Rookies. under the car and be like, okay, this is from <laughs> here, but then they scraped that layer apart. And yeah, like, yeah, that's from here. Scrape. Uh-oh. That's from the crime scene. Like, yeah, yeah. So that's some amazing. Amazing CSI work, no doubt. No, I, I think it was. I think this so, was probably somebody who had he had maybe made a connection in prison or something like that. Because this guy, remember, he had escaped from prison. That's what I'm wondering. Like, what did Corbett benefit from this? Did he get? I mean, did he get paid? Because I mean, I guess he probably robbed uh, Adolf Kors that day, the third. Yeah, I'm assuming he probably got away with whatever, whatever he had, he had on, on him. him. Yeah, but yeah, it feels like one of those things. Like maybe he made a connection in prison and then he escaped prison. And then was like, well, when this guy gets out, we already made this plan. We're going to follow through with it. I'm going to be his guy. Like, mm-hmm. it just seems like one of those weird criminal expect or criminal things. It's like, especially when you've already escaped from prison after you've been a convicted murderer. Yeah. Like, it just seems like a, if you've already kind of made it and you've gotten away and you have a new life and you're hidden to risk it all just to kidnap a big CEO, it doesn't seem like a, like a very solo plan. No, like, like he, there was a payday like in that. Yeah, there was a like, payday in that for him, dude. There was that was going to start him a new life, probably as Walter Osborne, and it just didn't pan out. I guess, but at the same time, it's like, dude, you did. You got away. You broke out of jail. You got to a new life. You were able to set it all up, and then you wanted to try and kidnap the CEO or the future like CEO. Like I said, maybe he scores. found out what the job was paying, and he was like, "Fuck it, I don't care if I'm in prison. I want that job." Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe he was taking him somewhere else. But yeah. it definitely seems like it. It fucked up because he does. Mm, yeah, he tries to kidnap him on the bridge that morning. But it seems that Adolf Coors ran or tried to flee, because that's another thing you have to remember is that after uh, Corbett was arrested and stuff, he did not talk. He did not give them like. A, no, uh, so that's what I'm saying. That's so suspicious. It's he didn't like give Lee Harvey Oswald type shit. Yeah, he didn't give you know any retelling saying? of the events. He refused to cooperate. He just said he was not it's guilty, like, but hmm. you know, it seemed like he was almost like shit, almost like a hitman. That's what I'm saying. He's a part of it. He just took a job, man. It seemed... There it, was a big payday on it for him. It seemed like there was probably a bigger payday in it for him and something like that, especially for him to have like the two different amounts for ransom. It's like 200000 in this, 300000 in this. It's almost like... Maybe he wanted like well, a specific for he, this cut well, for they this person. Obviously and this wanted cut for yeah. Well, they obviously wanted a half a meal, but they wanted them in bills that weren't traced. So I think that's why they. Oh yeah, I'm just saying. They, you it know, seems... they got small enough bills where they wouldn't be traced, and then also it doesn't send a red flag when you spin those. No, it doesn't. But it just seems so equally separated, almost like somebody's share and somebody else's share. Oh, for sure. So it's for like sure, yeah. if he's doing the kidnapping, he's getting the three hundred thousand, and then the yeah. person who's set up with the. You know the place and stuff is getting two hundred thousand. It's like mm. it seems like he had a a, a cult, like a you know accomplice or something, but for sure, especially to get all the way to New Jersey and then disappear from New Jersey mm. and, and would not get found again until he was in Canada. So it's like he's yeah. he's di- he is he gone. moved man he, he moved quick. Yeah, he was Seriously. on the run very like for a long time and. I don't know. It just it, some of the things just don't add up to me logically, but you know you can't always look at it a logical eye. But yeah, I don't know. It just seems very sus to have somebody do try to pull this off because he has like that's another thing. He has no, there's no ties to them and the Coors family. He has no record of them. He has no like you know bad blood with the Coors family. No. So because when they were first looking, like who would have kidnapped your your husband, man? They're like, yeah. Does the, does the family have any enemies? They're like, how much time you got? Right, yeah, no. <laughs> um, We have quite a few enemies, but this man was not tied to any of them. Like, he was just an, like, an anomaly. He was an escaped prisoner from California who somehow managed to stalk, plot, and ki- like, yep. kidnap the CEO's son. 
I don't know. It just it does seem a bit suspicious. Well, I got something I've been wanting to ask you. How do you feel about Coors beer? You know, it's, it's, right. it's <laughs> an opinion. It's a to, it's a total opinion. Yeah, this beer. I mean, I'm not. I don't you know? really drink too much beer anymore. It's fine. It's just yeah. a. It's a beer. Yeah, I don't does really it? drink much beer either, man. Just socially, you know. I might like you know summer's coming up. Maybe have some people over, have a cookout or something like that. Might drink a beer or two, but that's you know, about I it. I am, man. I am, I am so not ashamed to affra- to admit that I prefer the seltzers. <laughs> <laughs> they are so tasty. They're so crisp and sweet, and like they have like the yeah. Topo Chico seltzers. They got oh, those I do flavors. Love them Topo Chico. I'm telling you, man. I'm, I get the summer drink. I don't need those. Yeah. I don't need those light beers anymore. They just make you pee and feel like just make you fat. That's very true. Just give me a bunch of white claws. I'm a basic ass bitch. I don't care. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much uh, for supporting us here on Patreon. We appreciate it so much, guys. And thanks for the suggestions. Kendra, thanks again uh, for your second suggestion in a row. Mm-hmm. Like I said, um, we said we won't do that, but maybe I'll just make that a thing. Maybe I'll only take suggestions if you give me two good ones. Yeah, and we'll got, do them back to back. If you got two good ones, we'll yeah, squeeze those I'm in. I'm only man. taking two good ones. You two good suggestions some, minimum. Throw no, some throwaway <laughs> case out there. <laughs> Yeah. I guess it makes sense though, right? Because if you guys would have suggested them, I would have just went down the list. I'm looking at the the topic. I'm copying and pasting it into Google. One, I'm like, oh yeah, I like this one. Throw it on the calendar. Yeah. And then the very next comments, probably you, if you thought of two. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. But guys, either way, thank you for being a patron. Um, we appreciate it very much. It's the wheels of this podcast. I'm not sure, really sure what's going on in the podcast industry, but it really seems like uh, ad revenue is dropping Like overall. I mm-hmm. think it's because of a lot of these networks coming yeah, in. You know absolutely. what I'm saying? These big corporations, these networks, and then every damn celebrity has a podcast these days. It's like, uh, it's hard to compete with. They already have a huge fan base. And, you know, there's only so many hours in the day, so what are you going to listen to? Somebody you already love or take a chance on some indie podcast? Yeah, look at these yeah, faces. No. Why would you trust this? Seriously. <laughs> But guys, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week back on the free platform, Andy and I. And uh, we'll see you on stream shorts uh, before then. I think we will. Yeah, I think we will. All right, guys, until then, just keep on creeping, all right? See ya. Bye. All right, tea break. There we go. Got to get that caffeine going. Try not to get too high. Yeah, exactly. All right. Burp is on point. Got that timing. Reverb, reverb, reverb.